if you would turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, if you have a Bible with you. Um, Every week during this time, we open up our Bibles. We want to sing about Christ. We want to sing to Christ. We want to honor the one who has died for our sins and been raised from the dead, but we also want to hear from him. And we believe God has revealed himself to us in the Bible, in his word. And so we open it up every week to hear what God would say to us. And we're going to look today at verses 13 through 43, but to begin our time together, uh, we want to read just a few verses here in verse 29 uh, through verse 31 of Acts chapter 16. And if you would, stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word as we hear from Christ. Every time we open up the Bible, every time we open up the pages of Scripture, we hear from Christ, the one who inspired men, carried them along to speak to us here today. Verse 29 of Acts chapter 16, hear the word of Christ to us. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said to him, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. O Christ, I pray today, by the power of the Spirit, God, we pray that there would be one here today who would say, what must I do to be saved? And they would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Even in this moment, Lord, we know it is possible just by reading the Scripture and hearing the words, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, there could be one right now believing and trusting in Christ. God, we pray and we ask for that. But God, we pray today as we open up the Bible that you would teach us what Christ would have us to do with our lives. God, you would teach us what Christ would have us to trust in, what what he would have us to believe in. God, I pray that you would cause us today through the study of your word to love and treasure Jesus more than anything on the planet. God, we would love him more than we love our church. We would love Christ more than we love our ministry. We would love Christ more than we love our families. God, I pray that he would be our all in all today. And God, I pray you would make it so by the power of your word. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. From time and time again, I will pick up one of our students, uh, iPhones, iPods, iPads, and just sort of browse through it just to see what's on there, and they get real nervous. Uh, they're thinking, why in the world does Pastor Jeremy have my iPhone flipping through it? And, and I'm always shocked by the kind of music they listen to. Now, not that they're not just listening to K-Love hits and that sort of thing, All, although for some of them, they, they probably should listen to more K-Love 
than what they're listening to. But I'm always shocked by more than anything the variety of music and genre that's on young adults, that's on college students, that's on teenagers, iPods, iPad, whatever they're listening to. I'm always shocked by the variety uh, of music that they're engaged with. When I was in high school, if, the, if an iPod existed, um, I would have had simply George Strait all the way through. That would have been all it was on my iPod. I think about Pastor David when he was in high school. I, I can imagine him with an iPod, and it had been something like Motley Crue, Van Halen, Guns N' Roses. He was one of those cool 80s kids into all of that. Casey McCall, if you've met him, uh, he would have been listening to Bob Marley and Grateful Dead. And, and as he said a few weeks ago, here, Fish. I mean, he was one of those hippies, and, and that's phrasing it nicely. Pastor Nate, our music and worship pastor, would have been listening to Michael Card, uh, something really spiritual and outdoorsy. He was that sort of Christian school, northern country boy. But I'm always shocked at, at the sort of variety, the genre, the, the, all, the, all the different types of music that young adults listen to today. I'm always shocked when the little skateboard punk uh, at church has, uh, you know, he's listening to uh, Brad Paisley and Taylor Swift along with all this other, you know, kill the puppy music that he listens to. <laughs> More city-fied kids uh, who, who are mixing in Lil Wayne and Blake Shelton and, and Justin Bieber. And it's all just a hodgepodge of things. And it always takes me back uh, just a little bit to see it. And, and I'm always shocked by it. When we read through the book of Acts, the Spirit does the same thing with us. We assume who the Spirit is going to use. We assume what He's going to do, and all of a sudden, He flips the script on us. And we're sort of shocked and we're taken back by the sort of people he uses. When we get to Acts chapter 13, the missionary team, Paul and Barnabas, have, have split up here. And now it's Paul and Silas and Timothy. And we move through Acts chapter 16 and we see Paul and Silas end up in this city, Philippi, where they are planting a church. Now, normally when Paul goes to a city, the first thing he does is he goes to the synagogue. And his mission strategy was to go to the Jew first and then the Gentile. But they get to Philippi and there's no synagogue. And all of a sudden, the script is flipped again. And we're asking Paul, what in the world are you going to do? How are you going to figure this out? There's no synagogue here. There's not a group of people who are going to listen to you. And we read in chapter 13 that on the Sabbath, or verse 13 of chapter 16, on the Sabbath day, Luke, who was with them, we went outside the gate to the riverside. We went outside of the city where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. Paul, who realizes there is no synagogue in the city, makes his way out down by the river. And we think, Paul, what, what's your target group in Philippi? Who are you going after with the gospel in Philippi? And as we read through chapter 16, we see a group of people that if you looked on their iPods, if you just picked them up, one lady we would have heard a little opera from. The next lady we'd have probably found a little Marilyn Manson. And then we find a guy who's probably listening to Johnny Cash. 
And we can't categorize people who the Spirit is going after with the gospel. And we see here in chapter 16 that this kingdom hope that we're talking about today, this waiting for the kingdom to come, not wishing it would come, but waiting for a true and sure kingdom to come, brings all of these people together in the church in Philippi. As we begin in verse 14, we see kingdom hope down by the river. As we hear, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia, and she was from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The first person we come in contact here with is Lydia, and she was a very wealthy lady. She sold, uh, she sold purple garments. It was very uh, expensive to make and sell these garments. She is a career woman. Here the text indicates she probably had two homes. She had one in Thyatira and one in Philippi. If we were going to label her, this was the first century celebrity apprentice, female version, Lydia. She's also religious. Notice as the text continues, she was a worshiper of God. What this means is she was probably a Greek who began to attend uh, these Jewish Bible studies, and she grew in her influence there. She was probably head of the women's ministry. That's who she was here. But notice what the Spirit says in verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul was said, what was said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart. You see, this was a lady who had lots of money. She probably had these two houses that she was moving back and forth from, selling her garments, making lots of money, and she was very religious. There was no reason to listen to what Paul was saying. I've got it all together. I've got this all figured out. Look at the way the Lord is blessing me. But she heard what Paul said. The Spirit of God opens her heart to understand all you have been studying, all you have been praying is fulfilled in Christ. The Spirit does this supernatural work here. And notice as the text continues, after that she was baptized, her and her household. And notice, after her baptism, she urged them. She urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. We see this radical transformation. This is the female version of the rich young ruler that we read about in Matthew. This guy who has lots of stuff. This guy who comes to Jesus and says, how must I have eternal life? I'm very religious. I've done everything that you would ever want me to do. And I have all of this stuff. And Jesus says, sell it all and give it to the poor. And he goes away sorrowful. And then the question the disciples say, who in the world can be saved? Who in the world can be a part of this kingdom if that guy couldn't? He had it all together. And what does, what, what does Jesus say to them? With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. What's the point there? What's the point? God can take rich, religious people and break their hearts and give them the kingdom and cause them to do what Lydia does here. Give it all over to Christ. She says, y'all come to my house. You're looking for a place to meet. You're looking for a place to say, y'all come to my house. And we see this church in Philippi begins to meet in her house from this point on. 
We see here that this kingdom hope is for rich people. Now, that's a little odd to say. That's a little shocking for us to even talk about. But there is this attitude, and particularly in the South where I grew up, that Christianity is for white, middle-class Americans, the sort of working class. And if you're going to be a Christian, to have lots of money, it's sort of unspiritual. There's this sort of radical idea today that if you have a lot of money, you're unspiritual. But we see, that we see in Acts, and that's what Jesus is doing for us here. He's flipping the script on us. He's saying, if you are wealthy, you can be a part of this too, if you give your wealth over to Jesus, if you use it for the sake of the kingdom. I remember as a young pastor, there was a, um, a pastor whose church was radically committed to reaching the ends of the earth with the gospel. I mean, they were, uh, they were sending out their, they were giving to what Southern Baptists do, but they were sending out 15 to 20 of their own missionaries that were fully supported. And this, this guy was, I, I loved his preaching and we had him down for a mission conference uh, in Alabama and even here when we got to uh, Lexington, we had him down and, and listening to his preaching, I thought maybe he was going to show up in a pinto. You know, I just thought he's not you know, he's talking about giving to missions all the time. There's no way. And he shows up in the nicest Chevrolet truck. I mean, I was coveting. I, I, was, driving, I was driving this little Camry around, and the muffler was falling apart. And, and I pull up to pick him up and uh, take him somewhere. And he's got this wonderful, wonderful Silverado extended cab, four-wheel drive. And I get in and he's talking to me about this hunting trip that he's going on. And I'm jealous because it had been like a year since I had been hunting and I'm listening to all this stuff he's doing. And I'm thinking, this guy's a hypocrite. He's just a, I mean, he's got all this stuff and he's talking about giving it all away for What's going on here? And the more I talked to him, I realized someone had in his church had given him the truck. So if you ever want to do something like that. Um, but I realized someone had given him the truck. And as we talked, the subject of money came up. And one of the things he said to me was, I praise God for rich people. And I'm thinking, what, what is this guy talking about? He said, he said, you don't understand how much around the world can be done for the sake of the gospel when folks who have a lot get saved and begin to send others out. Now, he said, it is dangerous because it can keep you from the kingdom and it can keep you from Jesus, but God uses rich people too. That's exactly what we see here with Lydia. But if Lydia is the rich religious woman who's listening to Bach here, next we find a girl who is probably blasting the kill the puppy music, probably the Wicca uh, behind the scenes here as we move in our text. Notice as we continue, as we were going to the place of prayer, as we were going to minister the gospel, to preach the kingdom, notice we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. 
and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. This girl had a specific demon within her that was giving her the power to tell the future, to tell fortunes, and her owners were using it for their gain. And notice she followed Paul and us and was crying out, these men are servants of the Most High who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now we think, well, she's telling everybody who, who they are. But she was doing it in a way that was annoying, that was mocking who they are, that was distracting from their ministry. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, who became greatly annoyed, turned and said, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Here we see the power of the kingdom, the power of the gospel. We see these kingdoms are colliding, this kingdom of gain that these owners have colliding with the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of Satan colliding with the kingdom of Christ. And we see as Paul speaks by the power of the spirit, the kingdom of Christ wins. But notice what happens when the kingdom of Christ takes over. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Just the opposite of what happened to Lydia. One who's willing to give it all over for the kingdom. They are grasping to it and now they are fuming in anger that their hope of gain was gone. And this is what the hope of the kingdom does in our life. It gives us a new hope. It gives us an eternal hope and it causes us even to, to let go of temporary hopes, temporary gain. The, the hope of the kingdom comes in. And as we move through the text, notice as we continue, they bring them before the rulers, verse 20. And they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing the city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Now, there were synagogues in many of the cities here. But, but it was true that Romans could not worship any worship or serve or, or, or give themselves over to a religion that caused an uproar to the Roman government. And here, that's what they are accusing Paul and Silas of doing, of opposing the Roman government with their practices. And notice they say they are disturbing the city. That's exactly what the kingdom of Christ is supposed to do in your life. When you believe in Jesus and you have this hope of eternity, it's not just comfort and safety and just life as normal all the time. There should be a constant disturbance in your soul. Do I really believe this? Do I really believe what, are things changing with my finances? Are things changing in my family? Can I just go on as business as usual? And here, Paul and Silas bring the kingdom and it's no longer business as usual. There is a disturbance. It happens constantly in the context of the church. Your parents' hopes and dreams for you to marry a doctor and a lawyer and live down the street may be disturbed by a call to the mission field. Your spouse's hopes and dreams for you that you will just go to work and that you will just come home and, and provide enough money for the family 
that we can just get by, may be disturbed by your commitment to the gospel when you begin to serve and you begin to give for the sake of the gospel. Your employer's hopes that you will, will continue to fudge and manipulate the numbers so that the business keeps growing may be disturbed by your commitment to a gospel that promotes integrity. There are disturbances in our life constantly because of the gospel. And as we proclaim the gospel, there will be disturbances all around us. Notice verse 22. The crowd joined in attacking them. They are so angry. They stir up this chaos. They stir up this mob that begins to attack them. And the magistrates tore the garments of, off of them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. A few scenes ago, we're down by the river with a nice group of ladies at a prayer meeting. An Old Testament Beth Moore Bible study. And now we're having our, tore, our clothes tore off of us and we are being beaten. You see what the kingdom does? You can't categorize. You can't plan it. W one minute we're praising God for this lady who's letting us meet in her home. And then all of a sudden we're before the city and we're being beaten like fools. We're being Treat it as outcast. What happens? What's the gospel doing there? There is the disturbance of the gospel that is going to prove what's really on the inside. Life does that, right? You say you believe the gospel and you trust in Christ, and then you have to live life. Just life. You may not be beaten before rulers and kings, but you know day in and day out there are difficulties that you have to face. No matter how much money you have, no matter how little money you have, everybody's facing life. Suffering, difficult, will unveil what's really there. If your gospel is just a three-point track, it's going to be unveiled to, do, to you. If your gospel is just a theological system, it's going to be unveiled. If your Jesus is just your church attendance, it's going to be unveiled. Suffering, difficulty will reveal it. And that's exactly what we see as our text continues. Notice verse 23. And when they had inflicted them with many blows upon them, they threw them into prison. And not just prison, you get to the center of the prison where no one can get to you, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Now, remember, the gospel is moving. The gospel is going forth. And now, all of a sudden, they are bound. And Paul's thinking, how in the world am I going to get the gospel out? How in the world am I going to get the gospel to the ends of the earth? That's what I'm called to do. I'm in chains. I'm this can't be a part of the plan. But notice what Paul does here. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now you can't work that up. It doesn't matter if Clay Tabor, Chris Tomlin, or the Gaithers are leading worship. If you are in a jail cell, having been beaten unjustly, it's going to be impossible for you to sing hymns, choruses, praise songs, passion CD, whatever. 
when you have been beaten nearly to death with rods, it is impossible to work this up. It doesn't matter who's leading the worship. But notice, this is the design of the Spirit here. We think witness, and we think we go out, and we stand before others, and we proclaim the gospel, and we sit down with people at coffee shops, and we proclaim the gospel, and we plead with them to believe in Jesus, and we think that's evangelism. No, there's evangelism going on in the jail cell here. As they declare the hope of the gospel, the Spirit is doing this. This is the witness of the Spirit. I'm going to declare to the whole prison the hope that is found in Christ. And so they sing. And so they declare the gospel amidst difficulty. You've got to realize that you are never silent about Jesus. You're never silent about Jesus. Even when you're not saying a word about Jesus, you're saying something about Jesus. People are looking on your life. They are watching your witness constantly. And most often it comes out of our mouth. And the sad thing is many Christians are proclaiming a different gospel in the break room when they complain about their supervisor. Many Christians are proclaiming a different gospel than I have eternal hope as they complain and they whine to their spouse constantly. There's, there's no hope in the kingdom there. Yeah, my boss is a jerk. Not my boss. Pastor David's not a jerk. <laughs> Jesus isn't a jerk. Yeah, my job is hard. There are difficulties, but listen, honey. We have eternal hope. We have a kingdom that is coming. We have a, this job is not my eternity. This is how I serve Jesus now. But there is something better. And yet too often we don't proclaim that gospel when we mealy mouth about how bad life is. And people aren't drawn to hope in Christ. They're not drawn to, to treasure the gospel. But notice what Paul does here. He is proclaiming the gospel in song in the jail cell, verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Here we see the work and the power of the Spirit. The foundations are shaken and immediately the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And we say, yes, the gospel can move forward now. Paul's no longer in shackles. Why did he blow open the jail cell? Why? I've been in jail twice. Not for anything I've done, but that's fine if you've been there. As an EMT, we had a call one day where we had to go in a jail cell. As a pastor, I've gone in to pray uh, in prison before for people who were there, and it's the most disturbing experience I've ever imagined. You see, I had visions of, you know, Andy Griffith's jail cell. And you just walk in and you talk to the, the prisoners there. And if you've ever experienced that, you've ever been in jail, you've ever been arrested, you know that fear when you walk in the door and the door shuts. And you look around and you see the thick glass and there's no getting out. And that panic is in your heart. And then you're released and there's a relief. I remember walking out of the, both times that I was in a prison, walking out and thinking, whew, I thought it was, you know, I was thinking maybe it was a trap or maybe, they, maybe there was something and they were going to keep me there. That was the scariest experience I've ever experienced. I'm out. Why do they not leave? 
Why do they sit still? If it's me, I'm running. I'm getting out of the place. I'm bolting. They stay. Notice as the text continues. And when the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Now, I'm not doing that either. You beat me to a pulp. You put me in the middle of the prison in, in, in stocks where I couldn't move. You're going to kill yourself? Yeah, that's what you get. God has vindicated us. Let me take the sword and help you. That's not what Paul does. And we think, why did the Spirit blow the doors of the prison open? Was it to show his power in rescuing the prisoners? No. It was to show the power of the gospel in the jail cell. In the jail cell. And it was to display, yes, you can have freedom, but the power of the gospel shows up when you use your freedom for the good of others. And that's the part we don't get. We think freedom in Christ is all about us. I, I'm forgiven of my sin. I can do whatever I want to. I, I have eternity in heaven. I, I'm going to live it up. I can say and do whatever I want to. Jesus is going to forgive me. No. Freedom in Christ is to be used for others. It's to be used for the sake of the kingdom. It is to be used even when you are wrong. That's one thing that Christians, I, I fail, I, I fear. Too often we are more committed to being right. Whatever conflict, whatever argument in, we're in, we're digging our heels in to be right because we're more committed to being right than we are committed to the gospel. And we're more committed to seeing our enemies judged than we are seeing them saved. Think about Paul here. He looks into the eyes of a man who just beat him. And he sits still. Why does he do that? So he can declare the gospel to him. Notice Paul cried with a loud voice, don't harm yourself, we are all here. And the jailer called for lights. And he comes in and he is trembling. And he falls down before Paul and Silas. And he asked them, what in the world must I do to be saved? How can I be saved? Now we think what he is asking there is how can I have eternal life? How can I have my sins forgiven and live with Jesus forever? That's not what he's thinking here. You see, he's going to lose his job. He may be killed for this. And he's thinking, that's fine, Paul. You're here. That's good. I'm glad you didn't go anywhere, but I'm about to lose my job. How am I going to get out of this? Paul's immediate response isn't, well, I got this plan. We can deceive your bosses. We can, we can figure this out. I'll just talk to your bosses and say, we're still here. He didn't do anything wrong. No, he just proclaims the gospel to him. His point is, I don't know what you're going to do about the Roman government, but your greatest problem isn't your boss and losing your job. Your greatest problem is Jesus, who is king of the world, who is king of even those who have authority over you. Your greatest problem is your sin, and you need Jesus. And he pleads with this man to believe in Jesus. He believes in Jesus. His whole household becomes Christians, and they are baptized. They declare the gospel in baptism. The church is formed. That's our response. Everybody's asking this question, right? What must I do to be saved? 
one way or the other, even if most people aren't thinking about their sin when they ask that question. Your coworkers, when the diagnosis is cancer, and they look at you and say, what am I going to do about this? You can't cure cancer. But you do know the answer to their eternal problem. And his name's Jesus. And he's like, I'm going to walk with you through this. The job's gone. I don't know. I don't know how you're going to pay your bills. I'm going to be a friend and I'm going to walk through. I'm, but the reality is, our biggest issue is eternity. Our biggest issue is our sin debt toward God that we need Jesus to solve for us. Now, this story ends. Paul is freed. The city officials even realized they were wrong. They were wrong in having these Roman citizens beaten, and they let them loose. They free them. And we think, happily ever after, right? Now, Paul ends up in chains again. Paul ends up beaten for the sake of the gospel again. And we think, how in the world does the Spirit use that? Over and over, the Spirit is using difficulties to declare the hope we have in a kingdom, in the kingdom that is coming. And later on, Paul would be in chains somewhere else, and he would write a letter called Philippians back to these people. And there, as it is read in the church, you would have had Lydia, the wealthy, rich lady. You would have had the slave girl. And you would have had the jailer. And, and the Bach had been transformed into pipe organs. And the Marilyn Manson had been transformed into Lecrae or something else. And the Johnny Cash was still Johnny Cash because that's <laughs> good. But there they are. They're seated on the front row. And they receive this letter from Paul. And the letter begins, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. Now, Lydia, that's a pretty simple story. But the slave girl running around screaming so we can't preach the gospel, I thank the Lord upon every remembrance of you. Because I thank God for the way he delivered you. The jailer, I thank the Lord upon every remembrance of you, the man who beat us, the man who put us in the cell. yes. Because they would believe him when he wrote, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that's the hope of the kingdom. And that's the story that the Spirit is longing to tell in your life. Everyone here is in all kinds of different situations. You've got all kinds of problems. Some of them are with your family. And yet, the hope of the kingdom is that you have something better and you can endure and you can trust and you can pursue Christ even now and that's the witness of the Spirit in your own life. Some of you are telling the story of the hope of the kingdom down at the insurance office, down at the school. You're, 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 you're telling the story of this hope that you have in Christ at the veterinarian office. You're telling this hope of the kingdom uh, in the break room, in, in the lunch room, the hope of the kingdom. But the story is still the same, whatever the circumstances are, whoever you are. The hope of the kingdom is still the same. You've got your sins forgiven. You have a better kingdom coming. And that's the power of the Spirit in our lives. You're not going to find that on an iPod. You're not going to be able to, to, to narrow that down to one group of people. 
I feel that it's tragic. So often in the context of the church, when we're like Paul and we're like Silas and we go into a city and we say, you know, who are we going to reach here? Who, they're in, who are the influential people? We need to go to city council, downtown Richmond, tell them about what we're doing. You know, who are we going to reach? We need to go to the difficult parts of town, do evangelism there. What's our group? What's our target audience? Paul? Wealthy, rich folks. Slave girls. Demon-possessed slave girls. And jailers, policemen. Shocks us, right? That's who we want to be in Madison County. That's what we want to be here. And that's the power of the Spirit. And that's a declaration of the hope of the kingdom. Our hope is not in one ethnicity. Our hope is not in one social economic group of people. It's not there. Our hope is not in, in, in the right status and what we're going to wear and what we're going to look like. Our hope is not that everyone in Madison County will one day wear an I Heart MC shirt. Our hope's in the gospel. And our hope is one day we will gather here and we will see all kinds of folks in this, but kind of like looking on one of those iPods. Someone walks in and they are taken back. This is scandalous. And yet it's the power of the Spirit. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the gospel. And God, we pray today that your word and the gospel would move, even now. It's in the name of Christ we pray, amen.